0: Hey, good morning, everybody. Pastor is away, bless the uh, inmates running the asylum, so here I am. Uh, my name's Tom Nebel. Glad you're here. And uh, hope this is a worthwhile day for you. It's always great to come together, be encouraged, get our perspective again. So that's why we gather. When I was a little kid, I really uh, got into the superhero thing, the comic book stuff and all that. And... Primarily having grown up in Sturgeon Bay, there was a time when I was a little boy we had moved to Janesville for a few years. And I didn't have too many friends in the new school I was going to. It was some distance from our home. So my afternoon routine in second grade and into third grade was that I would chase home as quickly as I could, and I'd fire up that RCA black-and-white television set in the living room, let that baby come to life, and then if it was a good day and I adjusted the rabbit ears just properly, I could get Channel 13 from Rockford. And the payoff there was that at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, from what I remember... Channel 13 in Rockford was playing the program The Adventures of Superman. George Reeves. Oh, man. as a little boy, that was just so cool. I mean, honestly, when I look at these pictures right now, and some of you middle-aged and older folks, and you see it, I I just get a visceral reaction. I mean, honestly, I would rather look at that than look at you. (laughs) Because I'm just like, oh, that is so cool. So this little second grader, I'd I'd watch in the kind of uh, friction of the television screen, I would watch the Adventures of Superman, and oh, what i dream. You know, he was faster than the speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive. He could leap tall buildings in a single bound, and my favorite was he had X-ray vision. (laughs) I just wanted to be that, and I, I think in many ways I, I still aspire toward that. It's probably true for most of us. We want to be more, we want to do more, we want to contribute in a meaningful way to to life and to what matters, that kind of stuff. So when we talk about heroes and superheroes, I I get excited. Now Superman, he had a besetting problem, however. It was his Achilles heel. It was a mysterious element that came from the planet Krypton. And you all remember what that element was. It was what? Kryptonite. He got around that little green glowing stuff and he would melt and he would get weak. And uh, life wasn't so good for him at that time. Superheroes, they can fly. As we're going to see as we look this morning through the biblical text, that they can't fly alone. I think of heroes and those who fly. I go back to... June 2nd, 1995, I remember that day. I remember it because it was my son Andrew's 7th birthday. And on June 2nd, 1995, our nation experienced another assault. It had to do with uh, the the conflict that was happening in Bosnia-Herzegovina. And at that time, an Air Force pilot named Scott O'Grady was just doing flying near the no-fly zone when an SA-6, surface-to-air missile, knocked him out, and he had to eject and parachute, we presumed, to safety. We weren't sure. We we had reason to believe he was still alive, and the nation waited. The nation prayed. I know that we prayed. My boys prayed for Captain O'Grady, and we wondered for Several days we learned later that he would subsist on the the, the dew off the leaves of the plants and a little sponge he had where he could squeeze out water and drink it he would eat insects he would eat grass whatever he could ingest but the nation waited with anticipation. the military I'm sure knew more than they were saying, but five days into that uh, that that loss of captain O'Grady uh, a plane flying off of the Aircraft carrier Kearsarge caught the the word they were looking for. There was a a beam that came from down below with the code word Basher 5-2. meant that Captain O'Grady was still alive, and now the flag went up because it was our opportunity to rescue him. The Air Force Base back there in... Italy had the opportunity, they weren't ready to pull the trigger for another 18 hours, so the commanders handed the job off to the 24th uh, Division of the Marines. The Marines there on the Cure said, we'll take it. So two CH-53 helicopters, several Cobra helicopters, up to 40 aircraft jamming signals and AWACS and the whole business were up there, uh, 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 going to do what they could to rescue Captain O'Grady. They knew what they were doing. Uh, somewhere where they got close enough, he shot a flare into the air. They saw him. Two of these CH-53s landed with the dual uh, rotors. A woman here who was last night was telling me that her nephew who lives over in uh, Columbus was one of those Marines who secured the perimeter. It was a dramatic moment. Uh, coming off the back end of those, securing the perimeter, Captain O'Grady famished, wet, cold, shivering with his pistol in his hand and a 6 days growth of beard shoots himself through the the bushes, comes out into the clearing, throws himself into the back of one of these CH-53s. These 43 Marines come back on board and take him off to safety. Cool story. Love that. I love the, the drama of that and what our military was able to do. He was hailed and regaled as a hero brought back to the U.S. President Clinton welcomed him to the White House. He uh, met with reporters, and he said what we know to be true, which is is that superheroes, though they can fly, they can't fly alone. At that press conference, here's how Scott O'Grady put it. He said, they say, referring to the Marines, they were just doing their job, but they risked their lives to get me out. If you want to find some heroes, that's where you should look. (laughs) Is that true? I mean, there's, there's heroes behind the heroes, right? Now, there's a connection with the Superman business. I have to tell you this because it was my, my son Andrew's seventh birthday when the, when the uh, loss had occurred, but it was six days later when the news report came on that he had been rescued. So my wife and I, somehow we figured between the two of us, we would press the record button on the... VCR, and we recorded the news report as it was coming out. And then I myself, because I had teased the boys and played with them throughout their, their formative years that I was the real Superman, decided to have a little fun. See, they had given me a Superman shirt. Dare I reveal my true identity? <laughs> and... uh we had, uh, throughout the growing days, I would say to them things like, "You know, I'm the real Superman," and they would say, "Oh, Dad, you are not." And I'd say, "Exactly. That's what you got to tell your friends. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell them who I really am." Well, we went outside of the video camera at that time. I wore the Superman shirt. Laurie recorded me as I looked into the camera like this, and I said, "It was simply a matter of locating Captain O'Grady with my X-ray vision, swooping down, picking him up, and carrying him back to the ship." Done deal. Then we spliced it into the video of the rescue that came across the news. The things she talks me into. <laughs> so we called the kids inside when all the editing had been done, and we screamed out the back door, Captain O'Grady's been rescued! Captain O'Grady was rescued. The pitter-petter of the feet coming across the lawn, and they scurried in the house, and the video was running, and they're showing the drama of it all and what was taking place and this and that. And all of a sudden there's a voice over that says, but the true hero of today's rescue is none other than the man of steel himself, Superman. And it broke away to me standing there going, it was simply a matter of locating Captain O'Grady with my X-ray vision swooping down, picking him up and carrying him back to the ship. Boys are mesmerized by the news report. They're excited that their prayers are answered and then when they see the old man show up they shrugged their shoulders, stared at me went out and played. Superman lives in a kryptonite world, doesn't he? Superheroes can fly. Kryptonite someday hits, and then they can't fly alone. It's how it is in your life and mine. We aspire toward good things, great things. I'm sure all of us do. We want to matter. We want to matter to people around us. We want to matter to what really, really in the ultimate picture really counts. And as believers and as Christ followers, we, we, we want to be part of something that really has a payoff, something that is good. problem is, we in our heroic efforts we live in a kryptonite world and we get shot apart. You see that scroll earlier that, that kind of came up about all these Bible heroes and, and the besetting kryptonite in their own lives? It reminds me of the song written by John Erasnick. You don't know that name. You know his uh, you know his stage name, Five for Fighting. Wrote it back in the year two thousand entitled Superman. I can't stand to fly, I'm not that naive. I'm just out to find the better part of me. I'm more than a bird. I'm more than the plane, more than some pretty face as a train. I'm telling you it's not easy to be me. Wish that I could cry, fall upon my knees, find a way to lie about a home I'll never see. May sound absurd, but don't be naive. Even heroes have the right to bleed. I may be disturbed, but won't you concede even heroes have the right to dream? It's not easy to be me. Up, up, and away, away from me. Well, it's all right. You can all sleep sound tonight. I'm not crazy or anything. I can't stand a fly. I'm not that naive. Men weren't men to ride with clouds beneath their knees. I'm only a man in a silly red sheet digging for kryptonite on this one-way street, only a man in a funny red sheet looking for special things inside of me, inside of me, inside of me, yeah, inside of me. I'm only a man in a funny red sheet. I'm only a man looking for a dream. I'm only a man in a funny red sheet. It's not easy to be me. It's not easy to be me. It's a beautiful song. It it speaks to all of our lives because we aspire toward mattering, but we live in a kryptonite world, don't we? And we've made mistakes and we've gotten shot. And, uh, And we have internal weaknesses we don't often express. Bible teaches us though that superheroes can fly. They just can't fly alone. Superheroes like one of the names that was on the screen earlier named David. He was the second king in the history of the Israelites when they got around to having kings. The first king was Saul. Saul started out okay, turned out to be kind of a nutcase. David replaced him after his death. The book of 1 Chronicles, where I'm asking you to turn this morning, 1 Chronicles chapter 12, as a matter of fact, it is a chronicling, no surprise, about the history of Israel. But now in particular, it's going to chronicle, it's going to, going to, going to tell us stories and facts about the, the kingship of David. And when we get to chapter 12, well, we're really going to spend our time in chapter 11. But I want to set the stage by looking at chapter 12, because we're going to see that All this superhero had been inaugurated, and though this superhero could fly, he could not fly alone. And in chapter 12, as a matter of fact, it tells us about some of those people who had gotten around him and were uh, those who would be a support to the, the great work God would do. In fact, check this out, it says, these were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was banished from the presence of Saul, son of Kish. They were among the warriors who had helped him in battle. They were armed with bows and were able to shoot arrows or to sling stones, right-handed or left-handed. They were kinsmen of Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, you can see this was the stuff that happened prior to Saul going. But there were those who were gathering around David saying, we really want to go with you as king. And there's a couple things I want you to see here. First of all, down at the bottom there, it says, in a rather uh, um, parenthetical way, it says, they were kinsmen of Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, that's one of those things you just read. But what it meant was those who were coming to David were giving up some, some family anchors so they could serve. They weren't going to allow their family history or whatever uh, might have been assumed to hold them back, which is sometimes a lesson for those who want to uh, want to get into the game, that sometimes a family anchoring needs to be let loose. But there's a second thing that I want you to see, which is that in verse 2, it tells us these guys... Unless they lived in a very unique gene pool of ambidextrous people, they worked really hard so they could be as effective as they could be. They were able to shoot arrows or sling stones right-handed or left-handed. So in all likelihood, these were people who said, we're going to do stuff even if it's not natural. Earlier, Pastor Wayne was inviting us to check out the serving opportunities. And you know, what? sometimes it's because of our giftedness we move into that. But sometimes it's just because there's a need. And I'm willing to be left-handed for the sake of a bigger cause. Now, David had a a kryptonite problem, didn't he? It was called the Philistines. And any time you read about the Philistines, you will see that they were there ready to pounce on David. They were the nemesis for David. And sometimes it caused him just to curl up as a leader and wonder where was his help going to come from. But there were these people who said, we're going to be left-handed or right-handed for you. We're just going to be there for you. And that's sometimes what we do. We just are there, even though it's not natural for us. Now, last summer, one of the cool things I got to do, we got to go to Europe for a bit. I did some teaching in Switzerland, and then I ended, we ended up going down to Venice. Now, Venice is that, that, that city of, uh, of decaying decadence, and it, it was such a, a historical place to be. It was just wild. I, I was fascinated being there. Now, anytime I travel and I have opportunity, one of the things I like to do is I like to check out art museums. I I don't really know a lot of art, but I like the history. I like how that works. And, uh, you know, wherever we go, we go to these art museums. My my wife, Lori, she's not into that at all. There's other things she would rather do. So routinely when we go and I'm going to check out the art museum, she's going to find something else to do. But we're in Venice, and one of the most famous art museums in the world is there It's the Academy. And I'm going to go, and she says, well, I'm going to come along. I'm like, well, you don't have to. Well, no, I'm going to be there. I want to you know, be there with you, and I'm, and, and you don't have to get nervous, because you know, I might get nervous because I'm sensing she wants to move along, and I want to read a little bit more, or learn a little bit more, and I know some of you know what this is all about. But she says she's going to come along. So we go to this world-famous art museum, and it is world-famous. You know, one of the pieces in there, I mean, this uh, um, Da Vinci's Vitruvian Man. I mean, wow, wow. And, um, I mean, all kinds of stuff. So we're... we're, we're Going through this, and, you know, you pay the fee, you go through the gate, and we're, we're checking out, like there's this, this one that goes back to like the year 800, you know, this famous painting, and I think the title it was Madonna with Child, you know, a lot of church influence and stuff. And and so we're reading all this stuff, and then we go to the next one, and, and um, this one is maybe a little bit newer, you know, and I think the title was, um, if I'm not mistaken, it was Madonna with Child. And we go see another one, I'm reading all this stuff, and then there's, um, I think, uh, Madonna with child and we keep going and then then I'm starting to notice as I'm looking at these Madonnas with child that Madonna isn't here Lori is kind of not really with me anymore she's somewhere else and I'm kind of reading this stuff and and then I see the most beautiful piece of artwork in the whole museum it's something that I entitle Woman at Art Museum (laughs) because this is not her gig at all Okay, but sometimes it's what you do. You go left-handed for the sake of a bigger cause. This is what we put in the category of for better or worse, right? So that as a backdrop... Looking at David now in this kryptonite-filled world of Philistines, we find that the chronicler wants us to see that there are people who really mattered because though superheroes can fly. They cannot fly alone. And in chapter 11 now, if you hit the rewind button, we're going to read about some of these. The chronicler sets us up, brings us back to the moment when David was inaugurated as king, and in the first three verses it says this. All Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns, and the Lord your God said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had uh, come to da- King David at Hebron, they made a compact, he made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel, and the Lord had promised, as the Lord had promised through Samuel. Now, they're, they're maybe ingratiating him a little bit. This is what appears to me. It feels like a political convention, right? The banner's flying, and everybody's all excited, and you're the man, you're the man, you're the one we're behind. Um, it, in pastoral ministry or in church life, this would feel like a candidating weekend, you know, when the potential new pastor comes, and everybody's nice for the weekend, and, you know, everybody behaves pretty well. And, you know, they normally say you get a, two-year window of opportunity, and then, you know, it gets a little harder and things like that. But it, all these people come together, and they're recalling even back in the days when they would chant, "David is or, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his 10,000. they're saying, man, you were the man back then, and we're with you now, and this is great, and we're making a pact to be with you. And that's what People do when they follow leaders, they make packs now i 'm not sure where they all went. It might be helpful for us to understand the geography here because you know if you know that the general picture of the geography of Palestine, you know that you 've got uh, Jerusalem oh, this thing's kind of giving out Jerusalem there, and a little bit south is Bethlehem and if you go a little further south if you uh, If you can follow me there, there's this place called Hebron. Now, why do they go in Hebron? Jerusalem was where the Israelites should be. Uh, Bethlehem was David's hometown. You might figure they'd do the inauguration. Well, guess what? There was Kryptonite in Bethlehem. The Philistines were up there. They were garrisoned in. So they do this thing at Hebron and I presume some were serious about their pact to support David and I think some of them kind of went on their merry way saying, I'm glad this is somebody else's problem. So as we continue, the chronicler would tell us more, but I want us to move down to, chapter, to verse 10 under a heading in the New International Version that says this. It says, David's mighty men. He's going to tell us now more about the mighty ones who came along because those superheroes can fly. Now listen, they can't fly alone. The chronicler is going to tell us this. He's going to tell us some cool stories and then there's one story he is just itching to tell us that we're going to get to in a moment. He says the chiefs of David's mighty men, they together with all Israel, gave his kingship, strong support to extend it over the whole land. As the Lord had promised, this is a list of David's mighty men. So he's going to tell us about these mighty men. But he wants you to see it right in there. This is going to help his kingship, give him strong support to extend it over the whole land. We're upon something big here, and these are the ones that we're going to support this venture. You know what this makes me think of? makes me think about the Olympics, and i don't know if you were an olympic groupie like i was just you know a couple of weeks back but i really got into that like i didn't think i was going to get into i mean watching the whole thing i was i'm starting to ask myself cuz you know i always wanted to be a super i'm like well, what could i do in the olympics you know now and there's not much i could think i could do and compete in except one event i figured i could probably do the 100 meter chinese women's gymnast carry I think I could pick up one of them and carry them 100 meters, or probably a couple of them, actually. I could probably do that. But I'm watching the Olympics and I'm getting enamored with the story that the whole world's enamored with, which was what? Michael Phelps. Right, and this guy is is a, has an opportunity to pull something off. So we're getting cranked up now. To me, and I saw most of those races, but the one that I got most excited about, hands down, was the men's four by one hundred, because remember the French guy had kind of called them out and said said you know we're going to smash the Americans and a lot of this kind of stuff. And and so there's a little bit of that national pride. And and they they're they're doing the deal and they're 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 down to the third leg and and um, now. They're coming to the fourth leg, and remember that the, they ended up winning. They won by eight one hundredths of a second, even though they had a, a full body length to make up during that last hundred meters. And I jumped out of the chair, and the nation cheered, and everybody was all excited because Michael Phelps now was maintaining this superhero status. He was going to get one more medal, and it was going to happen. But the hero behind the hero was who? Jason Lezak because he's the guy who made up the 100 meters at the end and the four of them as they cheered together it was just wonderful and I love that picture of of Michael Phelps but the hero was Jason Lezak who was supporting the superhero and of course garnering his own medal so Chronicler wants us to hear this and then he's going to tell us about a couple of these heroes Uh, one named Jashabim a hackmanite I don't know what that is was chief of the officers. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed in one encounter. So I'm thinking, now here's a guy I'd want watching my back. <laughs> right. He could take out 300. Okay, I mean, in, in one encounter. So so whatever that looked like. And then uh, here's one. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dobai, the elohite I don't know what elohite I don't know that. Eleazar, I think, is a cool name. There's a lot of cool names here. He was with David at Pasdamun when the Philistines... Beep 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 beep. Gathered there for battle at a place where there was a field of barley, the troops fled from the Philistines, but they took their stand in the middle of the field. They defended it and attacked the Philistine uh, and struck the Philistines down. And the Lord brought about a great victory. So God once again brings about great victory as people stand in faith. Now, what this makes me think of this guy, this guy, um, Eleazar. He reminds me of a Civil War hero, um, Thomas J. or Stonewall Jackson. Remember, the first land battle of the war was at uh, Manassas, just west of of Washington D.C. and the union was winning until Jackson literally got off a train, got on a horse and went out to the front of the lines and he st- and he just stood there on the horse and called people forward. And one of his contemporaries, another general looked up and charged him. In. He says, "Look, there stands Jackson like a stone wall." And uh, they went and they turned the the the, the battle, and and ended up winning. The next day, Jackson is out there surveying the battlefield, and a subordinate is next to him named Smith. And Captain Smith looked at General Jackson and says, Sir, how is it you can stand so insensible and imperturbable with a torrent of shells and bullets raining about your head? And Stonewall Jackson just looks straight ahead captain wrote down his words because he remembered him. He said, Captain Smith, my religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God himself knows the appointment of my death. I do not concern myself with that, only to always be ready when it should overtake me. He paused and he looked back at this captain. He said, this is how all men should live. Then all men would be equally brave. Plus, Eliezer, man. There's a guy I like watching my back. Stood there in the field, turned the Philistines away. Something powerful about that. And understand that the chronicler here is telling us that superheroes can fly. They just can't fly alone. So now he's going to narrow the pool one more time and he's going to tell us about three. He's going to tell us this cool story that's just way out there. I think it's wild. It goes like this. Three of the 30 chiefs came down to David to the rock of the cave of Abdullam while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley at Rephaim. That time David was in the stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate at Bethlehem, carried it back to David. Well, there's a lot going on here besides an absolutely crazy story. Uh, first of all, you got this king who has, has been inaugurated, right? Uh, he, he, he's had the wonderful event, the balloons have fly, the ticker tape, all this. And where is he now? He's in a cave. Sometimes that's where leaders go. <laughs> Sometimes that's where heroes go go to a cave. Sometimes it's just scary. Sometimes you don't know what to do. Sometimes maybe others are protecting him. But he's there in the cave. And Israel is in rough shape. And the Philistines are there in the hometown. They're there, Bethlehem. There's all this stuff going on. David's there in the cave and he just breathes. He's he's not intending anything, anybody to do anything about it, but he just kind of exasperately says, oh, someone give me a drink of water from the well near the gate at Bethlehem. I don't think he was setting any, anybody up. But somebody said, man, I... I just got to do something. <laughs> Some of these mighty men, they're all just nervous. Like, give me something to do. And somebody talks somebody else into something. Before you know it, you got three of them. And, and I, I just love to see that picture as they're talking each other into it. You got to be nuts, man. No, come on, man. We can do this. We're trained. Let's do this. Come on. And before you know it, you know, they're in on this. And, and, and they're sneaking what? At night? We don't know. They're changing uniforms. We don't know. But somehow they snuck through the lines. I mean, this really happened. They went into enemy territory, and they went to a well. And I would imagine that trip was was a, 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 a combination of... Fear and sweating and plotting and anticipation and excitement and giggles and chuckles and laughter, all of that stuff. And they get this water out of the well, and they must be thinking to themselves, I cannot believe how stupid we are, but we are doing this. And they get this water, and they then make it back, and they bring it to David. Now, if that was me, my tail would be wagging. This would be a great moment that I can present this now to my leader. Now, David's going to be a little bit weird on this, and he does weird stuff once in a while but he's not doing anything immoral. He's not doing anything. He's just being weird and different and I guess devoted, but they come back with all this excitement because they're going to present this beverage now, this drink. These are the ultimate drinking buddies giving him this drink. And what does David do? Well, you know the story, don't you? It says, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. God forbid that I should do this, he said. Should I drink the blood of these men who went at the risk of their lives? Because they risked their lives to bring it back, David would not drink it. And then don't miss the end there. It says, such were the exploits of the three mighty men. I think that the chronicler wants us to understand that this is about the three mighty men. What David did was unusual. It's not the teaching here though. It's not it's not like we say anytime anybody blesses you with an act of kindness, turn it back and throw it away or destroy it, give it back to the lord and make it unusable. I don't think that's the teaching. And I had a guy a year ago gave me a brand new vehicle for uh, the ministry that I'm involved in, and, and gifted the ministry so I could drive a nice car, and it's really nice and I really like it. But imagine once he gives me the car, I say this is unbelievable. No ever done this kind of thing for me before, and the next thing you know is I'm driving it off a cliff. You know, I, I would feel kind of ripped off. These guys, I, I, and I think they did. Now, before the day was out, I think they were probably okay because they would have heard how David responded, you see. But their calling was to support the leadership that was given to them. And then David, well, his calling, I think if we were to glean something in this, we would say he knew not to abuse the blessing that was given to him. But the story is bookended, talking about three mighty men at the beginning and at the end. So I think they're trying to teach us about these three mighty men. I think the chronicler wants us to know that superheroes can fly, but they cannot fly alone. There's no telling where this thing could go if we get behind this guy. Now, let me tell you something. That's true for you. That's true for me. That's true for the person sitting next to you. Um, Everybody here needs mighty men. Mighty, mighty women. You cannot fly alone. Sooner or later, you will be hit with kryptonite. You cannot fly alone. But you can fly. I think there's also a teaching here that says we have capacity to support others. Others. So part of your calling not just is to find the mighty men and women who will be around you and honestly this is a great place to be and it's a great season of the year now as we're moving into this fall season and you get involved in things again. Just pray for God to give you those mighty men and mighty women. And, and You know I just ask somebody I need a drinking buddy I need you with me. Okay. But the other thing is you've got to ask where your role is. Because because superheroes, they can fly, they can't fly alone. There's a role for you to, to maybe be extravagant and crazy and run through the lines and get water, <laughs> you know, or, 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 or to do some, some things that are left handed, but just to do it because you're part of supporting the bigger cause, which has obvious applications to the church. And I would say, at a very opportune time when the pastor is away this weekend and I can say some stuff, he probably wouldn't even want me to say. I can say, Guess what, gang? We need people constantly to be supportive of pastor pastoral leadership in this church. And and in and, and any kind of leadership initiative that is Christ honoring and and is is obvious. So I am such a big fan of of pastoral authority and leadership. And as much as I have banter, and Pastor Mark and I have banter with each other, you need to know if he would tell me to do something that's not immoral or not uh, anti-biblical, if he said this is what you need to do, I would do it. I, I-, I need to submit to that. But-, but there's a payoff. You see, superheroes can fly, but they can't fly alone. And the payoff is that as we support each other, man, this whole ship gets off the ground. It's cool. It's wonderful. It can be fun. It'll be what we're born for. I think those fellows at the old Three Mighty Men Rest Home at the end of their days rocking on the front porch <laughs> just kept saying, remember the day? Remember the day? <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course I remember the day. Pastor Ted Traylor, he, he remembers the day. Pastoring in Pensacola, Florida. Up to his eyeballs and alligators, he had made a decision in the church that was a necessary decision, but it involved letting a popular staff person go and there was all kinds of backlash and you know leadership can be tough. you want to be in the cave sometime and uh, and there was backlash and he was feeling it and he he longed for home, wanted to go move back to North Alabama. Um, his wife was taking some heat, it was getting crazy he 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 wondered if he ought to move on he was ready to throw in the towel. And Pastor Ted, one night, he's got his boy. They're out at the arcade on a Saturday night. They're going to just go out and burn some quarters and relieve some pressure. He's driving back home. He's driving back home as the sun is setting in the twilight, and he sees there's three men standing for him, waiting for him at the house. He's like, oh, brother, here we go. Takes his boy inside, puts him in bed, comes outside. Three men are waiting there. He recognizes them. He knows that... uh, They're friends of his, but he's wondering, is his number up? And he tells us what happened. It was dark as I walked toward the men on the curb, silhouetted against the shafts from the street light. I could see who they were. They were three of my dearest friends at the church, were my own friends, telling me it was time to go. What are you all doing here, I called out. Oh, preacher, we've been on a little trip today, one said, Another man said, "You ever read First Chronicles 11?" <laughs> so I'm sure I have, but refresh my memory. Well, remember how David was hiding in a cave when the Philistines camped nearby, and he sighed and and wished for water from a well at home in Bethlehem?" He said, "I said, "I know the story. Remember how he used to talk about the well in Pisgah, and other of the trio said. You said it was an artesian well that flows right out of the ground so cold and pure that you'd stick your head down there and drink all day long till you'd nearly drowned. On hot days as a boy, I well we got up at five o'clock this morning and drove to your home in North Alabama. We've been to Pisgah. That's a six hour drive from here, I said. Yep, we've been on the road fourteen hours today. We just got back about a half hour ago, and we've been sitting here praying and waiting for you to come home. We drove up there and met your mama and daddy, the first man said. They showed us the well, and we brought you this. He reached in the back of the car and handed me a quart fruit jar full of water. I cried. Not ashamed to say it. We all did. Three mighty men brought me refreshment from my own Bethlehem. I was deeply moved by their gracious act of love when I so needed it. We prayed, and after a while I said, It's getting late, and you must be very tired. I guess you boys ought to go home. We're not done yet, preacher. When we were there with your daddy, he's kind of a quiet guy. He said that when you were a teenager, you'd go out on this big rock at the brow of the mountain and pray. It was true. At 17, I was called to the ministry. Back then, we said we were called to preach. That was the only call we knew. In fact, five of us from our high school football team, we were called to preach. Often, i go out on that rock ledge near my home to talk to God, sometimes just to practice preaching. Spent many hours there preaching over my call. Your daddy said you go out there and plead, Lord, show me what to do. The mighty man continued, so we asked your daddy to take us there. We had a little prayer meeting and busted off some of that old rock. He brought out two large chunks of rock. We want you to put these in your yard. Anytime you get discouraged, just go there and stand on these rocks. Know that the God who called you will be the God who sustains you. I swallowed hard, ready to squall again, but they weren't finished. Remember the flowers that grow on the mountainside up there? Rhododendrons, I said, just beautiful. He pulled an old Maxwell House coffee can full of moss and dirt, bloom sticking from the top. Guys, those are protected. That's a $50. One chuckled. Our preacher taught us it's easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. <laughs> we want you to know that the God who is the lily of the valley will always bring a fresh flower to your soul if you'll trust him. Then they drew closer, and their tone was very serious. One man handed me a card. Put our our phone numbers in your wallet. Whenever you have trouble, wherever you are in the world, you call us, we'll get there as quick as we can. We talked about this all day, six hours up and six hours back, the largest man said as he stuck out his hand to grasp mine. And we want to make this statement to you. We will die for our pastor. We will die for you you stay straight and are moral and are ethical and biblical we will die for you if you are immoral and unethical and unbiblical we will kill you (laughs) preacher he concluded we're not serving you we're serving the king who called you and we are in this together i knew they meant it mighty men indeed that was a turning point After the night visitors left, I continued to praise God. I went inside and checked on my son. He was sleeping soundly. I knew I could make it through. I knew we would make it through. Our deacon stood with me, even those who had disagreed with the decision. The pastor didn't do anything immoral, one fellow said. We just asked him to lead, and he's led. Perhaps I could have averted the crisis or at least minimized it if I had brought some of these men around me earlier, knowing they now stand with me. I have relied on them since. The mighty men themselves have kept a low profile. I told the church this story several years after it happened, but few people know who the three water bringers are. On the anniversary of their visit, we and our wives gathered for dinner with the rocks and a photograph of the flowers on the dining room table as a centerpiece. It was a great celebration as we saw how God was healing our congregation and preparing us for a new season of growth. As for the water, the jar sat on the credenza behind my desk. I vowed I would not pour it out as an offering as David had poured out the offering. His mighty men had risked their lives to fetch for him. I would keep my jar of artesian well water as a memorial to God's goodness. Not long after, as I shared the story with a pastor who needed encouragement, I turned from my desk to show him the water, and it was gone. The cleaning lady had poured it down the drain. (laughs) Uh, A drink offering after all. But I still have the rocks. They are planted in the side yard at my house. Sometimes I stand on them, and I remember the men who stand with me. I recall where the rocks came from and the God who called me, and whatever the situation, I never stand alone. Superheroes can fly. they just can't fly alone. It goes for you and me and the whole shooting match. All right. Let's bow in prayer. I'm going to ask you to bow in prayer because in particular right now, I'm just going to ask you, if you're, if you're sitting here saying, honestly, Tom, I need some mighty men or mighty women around me. I, I've been trying to fly solo too long. Um, it's a kryptonite world. If you're saying you need mighty men, mighty women around you, just slip up your hand so I can see your hand because I'm going to pray for you in particular. I'm not going to embarrass you. Okay, I see. I see a dozen folks that are saying, all right, good, thank you, Thanks for pu- thank you, thank you for putting your hand up. All right, God, we pray for those who put their hands up and those who wanted to, but somehow were scared to. Um, they need mighty men and mighty women. Would you bless them, God? Would you bless them and show them who, the, who those people will be? Give them the courage to ask, God. I think we could throw some random relationships together right here on the spot and they'd be best buddies forever. God, would you lead them? God, show us how to serve. There's a table in the the hallway as we head out full of opportunity. God, help us to serve. Help us to get behind and help our heroes fly. Show us how to do that, God. God, we pray for our pastor. Pastor Mark, we pray you give him energy, give him joy for this journey, especially now that... uh, Fall is upon us, it's a great season, it's a tiring one. God, we want our lives to count, we wanna wanna be heroes who can function in a kryptonite world and say we're glad for it. So would you guide us, God? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.